You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Good morning. It's great to see you. My name is Benjamin. I'm one of the pastors here. And you can pick up your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, pick up the one in front of you and turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. That's page 858 in the church Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, take that one as our gift to you. And while you're turning there, I just want to encourage men, not this coming Friday, but the one after that, is Ready Men, a time when us men get together. We, uh, I, I preach a message to you, a short 20, 25-minute message. And it's all about man's stuff. It's going to directly apply to your life, and it comes from the Word of God. And we're going to be talking about wolves and uh, sheep and sheepdogs. And which one are you? And then we get together downstairs where the ladies have made a wonderful meal for us and we just talk and uh, have a great time. So I encourage you to be at that. As well, if you came to this service, it's good because the air conditioner decided to die or a demon possessed it and killed it last night. So you're in the cool service. It's going to be nice and hot and sweaty for the next service. So we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. The title of today's sermon, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, this is sermon number four, is Be Doers Before You Become Teachers. And in your bulletins, you'll see in the middle page, there's the main points as well as places for you to take notes. So let's read this together. Don't think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, nor one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. God, we listen to the words that you spoke to your disciples uh, almost 2,000 years ago. And we want to understand them. We want uh, to hear the message to them, which is also to us, on why you came and what you didn't come to do and how that applies to us. So would you open our hearts, Lord, and help us to um, look at our faith and the way we live it out and to determine are we religious people or are we followers of Jesus Christ? That takes humility and that takes an openness for us. Help us to do that. Help me, a simple man, to preach your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen to that little kid that just said amen. <clears throat> well, when I was on leave from uh, overseas uh, one time in 2006, I decided that I was going to backpack through several countries in Europe and in Africa. Uh, that was um, when I was a little dumber uh, than I am now. On, on my own, I was going to do much of it. 
And so there I was, I found myself um, in a country called Kenya, a very uh, beautiful country. The safaris are breathtaking, uh, the beaches are awesome, the history is uh, fascinating, and the people for the most part are very warm and hospitable people. And I was warned before I went uh, that um, in some of these countries, in Africa particularly, the military and the police would uh, set up uh, little uh, spots on major intersection. They would look for people who didn't belong to that country, and they would essentially uh, extort them for money. Uh, they would uh, you know, tell them there's a tax you have to pay to get through this intersection. If they didn't pay, they would hold them up for a long period of time. And so I was warned about this. And then, so one day I was uh, walking along the side of a road, not driving, walking um, outside of a city called Mombasa along the coast of Kenya. And I had an off-duty police officer that I hired from a different uh, city who was my guide and to look after me while I was there. And up behind us, it was dusk and it was uh, getting dark, there came this screeching uh, uh, pickup truck. And it was just packed full of soldiers, and they were brandishing light and heavy uh, weapons, and they just poured out. It was, like, it was like they saw me, and they saw I didn't belong, and like white on rice, they just right up beside, and they just poured out of the back, and there was like five of them stuffed into the, uh, into the cab of it, and it wasn't two rows. And, and they get out, and they kind of, they come up, and they're very loud. If you've been to Africa, they talk with you know, with a little bit more vigor than, than we do. And I don't understand what they're saying. The, the police officer uh, is corresponding with them. And, and so they're, they're kind of surrounding me. And, you know, they're, 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 they're caring. And they're, they're a little bit intimidating. So I just decide, well, I'll try and cool down the situation a little bit. So I take out, this is when I smoked. And I was a heathen. And it was destroying my body. So I started taking out cigarettes and just giving them to the soldiers. And, and then I got through that pack. And moon, moon. And then so I, I gave them all that I had. And, and I told them, or through the translator, that I was a soldier. And they, and they loosened up. And they gave us a ride. And there I am, packed into this. Two soldiers on each side. And the uh, police officers in the back of the cab. And they're riding like it's the Wild West. But that's besides the point. The main point of this what I'm telling you is that uh, for all intents and purposes, these soldiers were soldiers, right? They had gone through the training, as the police officers had. Uh, they, they knew the part. They knew the rules. They enforced the rules on a lot of people. But some of them didn't actually follow the rules themselves. And because they didn't follow the rules themselves, they kind of... Uh, they kind of blew the trust of most of the citizens. Most citizens didn't trust that they were actually, as police officers and military, who they said they were, who they were pretending to be. And so today we're going to look at Jesus. He's got some clear things to say about the disciples, uh, about things that he has come to do and things that he has not come to do, and how that relates to us, not just by what we say, but how we live. That we can look the part, that we can sound the part, but until we are the part, until we're living the part, we actually aren't fulfilling the Christian mandate. And he's going to clearly draw a, a distinguishing difference between a religious person who looks and sounds the part and a Christ follower who is the part. 
And so in these opening verses on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus declares the famous Beatitudes. The most important aspects of a Christian, he says, is their character through all of these 12 first verses that we went through. And then he indicates that the purpose of uh, developing our character from a worldly character to a Christ-like character is that we would be influencers, that we would go throughout the world and we would be salt and light. We would influence it for Jesus Christ. And now he's going to lay down this disclaimer. And and I just want you to imagine it. There he is on the hill we've talked about. Uh, They can see the crowds, and maybe some of the crowd is starting to make their way up. And Jesus is sitting down, and his disciples are standing or sitting in front of him. And he's delivering this message. And and he is the hope. And they're just hoping, these disciples, that this is the long-awaited Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, that's going to free them from all their problems. Free them from the crooked religious leaders. Free them from the evil Roman occupiers. Free them from this puppet, corrupt king. And he starts talking. I can just imagine the excitement of the disciples with the crowd, the murmurs of the crowd making their way up the hill. Blessed are the... But Peter's distracted, I'm just imagining. He, he just looks down and he sees that crowd. Oh, wow, we are going to be famous. He thinks to himself, look at all these people and I get to be a part of it. And he looks back. Jesus goes on, blessed are the, but Andrew and James, they're a little bit distracted because they've pinpointed, they've scoped in on a certain group of people who are in that crowd. They're dressed in fancy clothes. They, they, sound, they look really great, the scribes and the Pharisees. Oh, and Andrew and, and, and James, whew, just ticks them off. We're going to replace those old religious hacks with a new way of doing things. And we're going to be in Jesus' inner circles. Maybe they're thinking, and they turn back, and, and, and Jesus says, you are salt and you are light. But Judas is too distracted to hear that. He thinks, finally, I'm going to get what's coming to me. I'm going to have all the nice stuff. I can just imagine all the cash that's going to come with these people. This crowd, oh, man, is getting excited. And then I, I imagine Jesus, before he, he goes on to what we see in verse 17, he pauses. You ever be in a class and you're not paying attention in a class? You're like doing your own thing, and then you hear the teacher, he's yakking away, and then he stops, and you're like, you hear the break, and you're like, right? Like I imagine Jesus as he gets serious, and he, he catches their eyes. Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, he says. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Well, these are Jewish men. They grew up being taught the Old Testament. A Jewish boy would be expected to know the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, Moses' laws that God gave through Moses to the people. They knew the Old Testament. Uh, They knew that it was the conditions that God had laid out for a human being to be in right relationship with God that they were morally supposed to follow these laws and live by them in order to earn their way into heaven, some would say. And the prophets, they knew who the prophets were. They were the men and women that God would send every generation to call the people to obedience, to keep them from straying away, to remind them that God had laid down these laws and they, as his people, were supposed to follow them. And Jesus comes along and says, as he lays out the Beatitudes, this new way of fulfilling the law, he says, don't think I've come to destroy it. You got it? 
I haven't come to do away with the, the, uh, or to minimize the morality of God's laws. I haven't come to release you uh, from the restraints that are intended to hold you to everything that is good and pure and holy and noble. Don't think that I've come to get away, to, to let you get away with sinning, Peter. I've come to fulfill the law. And for the next three years of Jesus' ministry, he is going to fulfill the law. He is going to demonstrate what it looks like for a man, both fully God and fully human, to live these out in perfect law. To keep God first and to love other people as themselves. And on his way, he's going to point out all these meaningless rituals and traditions that the Pharisees and the scribes have made, like these long prayers where they blabber on on street corners just to sound good, and how they tithe a tenth of their mint and dill, but they forget about mercy and compassion, and they wash their hands all day long, thinking that this will make them more holy and closer to God, and they're seamless never-ending list of rules that's always growing. You can't carry a mat on Sunday. You can't uh, help a person or heal a person on Sunday. And, and Jesus looks all these, and like a person sweeps away dust from a countertop, Jesus says, those are garbage. All these extra things, garbage. But don't think that I've come to do away with the things that God says are important. And when you, a Christian, look at the Ten Commandments and look at the the laws, the moral laws that God laid down, all of them are summed up in two things. They, They point towards two things, the essence of these. One, that God demands to be first in your life, first place, before everything, because he is your savior, your creator, your sustainer, your provider. He is your hope, and therefore he deserves first. And in him lies everything. He knows it. If these people would only get it, that these laws that I've laid down are good for them, that I have in me everything they need for life and and happiness, then they would experience life to its fullest. And so he knows that. And the second thing, which Jesus summarizes both of these later, is that God desires for us to love other people, care for human beings, and to honor them. Because he created them, and therefore they have value, whether they are a week old in their mother's womb or they are 105 in a nursing home. They have value because they were created by God. This is what the laws, in essence, come up to. They point towards all of these. And so every generation struggles with either legalism or license. This is the the battle for the church in every single generation. Legalism is when you make a bunch of extra rules that you think are going to help you to follow the main rules, and you say everyone has to do it even though God hasn't said to do it. It's where like what you wear becomes the the thing, or, or that you can or can't watch TV, or you can swim in the lake on Sunday, or you can't swim in the lake on Sunday. Like it's extra rules that God says don't need to be there. And the other extreme to that, sometimes you'll experience, is license, where a church says, well, God is love, and because God is love, you can sin as much as you want, really, because God's cool with it, and God changes with time, and he, he's cool with this because the government says you're cool with it, and culture says it, so God must be cool with it. You have a license to do whatever you want. Those are the extremes that Christians and churches will sometimes go into, 
Every generation has this battle. Listen to Elizabeth Elliot, uh, the wife of the famous uh, Jim Elliot, who was martyred and killed in South America. Listen to what she says in her book written in the 1970s called The Liberty of Obedience. She's talking about the struggle in the second century for Christians. She writes, I am earnest about forsaking the world and following Christ, but I'm puzzled about worldly things. What should I forsake in order to follow Christ? Colored clothes, for one thing. Get rid of everything in your wardrobe that is not white and stop sleeping on a soft pillow and sell all your musical instruments and don't eat any white bread. You cannot be sincere about following and obeying Christ if you take warm baths and shave your beard. To shave is to lie against him who created us to attempt to improve upon God's work. And El, El, uh, Elizabeth says this. She says, doesn't this sound absurd? Uh, but this was the answer that was given to many Christians in the celebrated Christian schools in the second century. So 200 years after Jesus had died, when people would ask, what can I do to be close to Christ? These are the sort of answers that would be given. Legalism. And it slips in. We're like, that's ridiculous. That's stupid. But every generation develops these things that we think somehow make us closer to God when God says, I didn't say that. And this is the struggle for Christians, not to add to what God has said and not to take away from what God has said and hence walk the narrow road. And so here's, a, here's something, a little bit of a disclaimer. Sometimes as individuals or as a family, we need to uh, make extra rules for ourselves because we know our weaknesses. Let me give you an example. The Bible doesn't say drinking a glass of wine or having a beer or two is wrong, okay? Uh, But it does say getting drunk is wrong. And so if you as an individual know that your temptation, if you have a drink or two, is to get drunk, then you need to make extra rules for yourself to protect yourself from doing that which God has clearly said is wrong. But it doesn't mean that everyone else needs to follow it just because you're tempted to do it. Or if you have problems with the internet and you know if you go on the internet, you're going to watch or see things that you know you shouldn't see. So you make a rule. I'm not going to have access to internet or I'm not going to have access to it unless I'm around other people. That's a rule for you, but it doesn't mean everyone needs to not watch the internet in order to be close to God. Same with credit cards and and debit cards. If you have a problem spending and, and spending takes your life into sinful paths, then you need to cut up your credit cards. And your debit cards, but it doesn't mean everyone needs to do it. This is for yourself, but it's not for everyone. So Jesus says, I didn't come to get rid of the laws, the things that are important, but I came to fulfill them. And he did it perfectly. He accomplished it. And then he says, I'm going to send my spirit after I've lived it perfectly and defeated death to come and live in you, to give you the ability to live in this way. This is what we would call sanctification. If you're, if you're new to the, the Christian life, this is the word sanctification. It's when God takes a worldly person, saves them, and starts to change their character from a worldly character into a kingdom character. It's a process. It doesn't all happen right away. For some, it happens quick, for, quicker, and for some, it's a slower process. But the more you engage in that with God, the less you fight God, the more open and accountable you are, the faster the process will go, and the more blessed you will become throughout the process. 
Verse 18, then Jesus goes on to say, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. So when is the law, which we're going to spend uh, the next couple of weeks looking at Jesus giving us two examples, when is the law no longer required? When will we be free from these shackles when you're dead? That's when. When you're dead and Jesus comes back and makes the new heaven and the new earth and wipes away the old heaven and the new earth, he that until heaven and earth pass away. Hence, either you're dead or Jesus comes back. Now, Peter talks about it a little bit more in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. That's page 1080 if you want to turn in the church Bible. 1080. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. Whenever you see in the Bible, it say the day of the Lord. That's talking about when Jesus comes back in judgment. Someday Jesus is coming back a second time. The first time he came as the Prince of Peace, uh, uh, giving salvation, offering it to everyone. But there is a time when he's coming back, the judge, to conquer, to destroy evil, and to judge the sins of the world. And Peter talks about this time. Verse thir- or 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all of these things are to be dissolved in the way, it is clear what sort of people you should be, holy or be in holy conduct and in godliness, as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. And this is the thing to focus in on. But based on this promises, we wait for the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness dwells. What does that mean? That means in heaven, when the new heaven and the new earth, the earth will be purged of evil. Heaven will come to earth. You will get a new heavenly body. And there will only be righteousness In hell, there will only be darkness, sadness, misery. God gives none of his goodness to it. In heaven, it will be only goodness. And you will not even be able to sin. And so the word, remember going back to our main text, it won't pass away until heaven and earth pass away. The word will transfer from something you're working to do along with God to who you are. You will have a new body, and it will not be able to sin, nor it will desire to sin. No one will sin. You will live perfect as God is perfect. No more struggling at night. Uh, No more uh, striving with God to conquer your sin. You will be perfect. And sometimes we can shake our fists at God, can't we? We can look at Putin and say, oh, you're rotten. God, how could you allow this to happen? And look at the way people are hurting each other in Africa. And, and look at the drug wars in South America. How can you allow this to happen, God? And when will this be the end? When will this be over? It'll be over when that happens. But in the same way, sometimes we Christians can be, can be saying, oh, how rotten the world is. And God, why don't you solve things? But then we can be fighting God when he asks us to purge our life of that which we know is wrong. When we ask us to put up guardrails or he asks us to be accountable to other people, we can be like, ah, I don't really want to do that, God. And what we don't get is that when we're doing that, we're doing the exact same thing that those people that we hate, that we like to shake our fists at, are doing. 
We are denying God's blueprint for how to live, and we're adopting the world's blueprint on how to live. I remember this lady um, at a church I uh, used to go to before I came here, and she had married a widow, a widower, a man who had three children, I believe, and she had married him uh, later, and I, she was the kind of woman that would talk a big talk and, you know, hands raised and, and could quote every Bible verse. And yet, as I watched her and, and talked to her and watched her interact with her family and got to know the church over the years, I noticed that what she said and what she lived were two very different things. That she would make these children, that she uh, became the stepmother of, she would treat them like secondary citizens. She would keep them away from the dad and always talk down to them. And, and, and she would talk about certain people behind their backs. But in front of everyone, oh, she could spin a good lie. And Jesus is saying, listen, that sort of stuff, that's not for me. Therefore, look at verse 19. Therefore, whoever breaks the least of one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Someone like that will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And and this brings us to what is the difference between a religious person and a kingdom person. This is where Jesus is kind of building into the serious talk that he's having with his disciples. This is a warning to the disciples and the apostles, to Peter, to John, to Andrew, to Judas, to stop focusing on the way it is around the world and focus on what I'm calling you to. Jesus is establishing a new way of fulfilling the law. Notice Jesus says, whoever breaks personally and then teaches will be the least in the kingdom of God. And now we wouldn't really have this problem if you kind of spin in what we'll call evangelical, conservative Bible circles. If you go to those sorts of churches, this isn't necessarily a problem you'll see. If you've been to liberal churches, then this is the problem you'd see. People will be like, oh, God's changed his mind on this and that, and you can do whatever you want in this area because he's cool with that. And Jesus was just a good person who taught nice things, and we're just here to honor that uh, and pass along these good things. That's a person who breaks the laws and teaches others to do so. But what you will find in church circles like maybe some of you would run in is people who teach people to follow the laws but don't actually do it themselves. They openly don't do it. Uh, We put up this, I guess you could say, fakeness as Christians. That we we act the part. We stand up in front of others and, and teach. We quote Bible verses, but our intent is really not to follow it ourselves. We make excuses why we don't have to follow it. This is what you might run into more in evangelical circles, and I'm sure some of you can think of that. The, the way you talk to your spouse isn't the way you tell other people to talk to your spouse. The way you treat your kids isn't the way you tell other people to treat your kids. Uh, what you do with your free time isn't what you tell other people to do. But God sees through it. And this is the thing about God. This is why this should, should give, create in you a healthy fear but a happy fear. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. That's a promise from God. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. 
So the kind of man or woman that God loves is somebody who, who struggles, because we're all struggling, if we're honest, and doesn't try to conceal it and hide it and put on a happy face in front of everyone and pretend like they've got it all together, but the person who, who says, you know, I've got this real challenge, but I am willing, notice that, who confesses and forsakes, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes, God, people, Christians, along to overcome this. And we have to remember that God sees everything. Jeremiah 16, verse 17. For my eyes are on all the ways, on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. Right? We can deceive our parents. We can deceive our spouse. We can deceive our work and even the church for a time, but not God. He will. And because he loves us, because we claim to be his, he will let us be found out. And I have to live with that reality, especially, God says, as a teacher, as somebody who gets up and preaches, God is holding me to an extra high standard. And so I have to be accountable to my wife and, and be accountable to my children and be accountable to other believers and be under the authority of church leaders. Because if I am not, then I should just shut up, take a seat, and listen and not speak. And we should all, as followers of Christ, live with that reality. So then Jesus says, but whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So the Sunday school teacher uh, who, who teaches those kids downstairs and doesn't get much credit or the, the person uh, cooking the meals and they have a real hospitality about them, God is saying that they're more valuable to the kingdom of God and greater in the eyes of the angels than the hypocritical pastor who gets up and says one thing and has a big ministry but doesn't actually live it himself. After studying the Bible, one of my uh, things I love to do is study leadership. I love to study the art of leadership. I'd love to do some more education down the road where I get to study leadership. But right now I just do it as a hobby. And I've watched leaders um, right back from when I joined the army um, through the churches. And I've studied the great leaders of the past. And I watched the the horrible leaders of the past and, and see the present leaders. And so I love to study. And here's something I've learned about authority. That there's different kinds of authority. So if you want to be a leader, and, and to all of you are leaders in some extent whether in your home or your business or in the church, um, you'll all be in some sort of leadership. There's different kinds of authority. That's authority that comes from a position. So you have a title, and therefore you have authority, and people need to listen to you. And people will follow you up to an extent. But they may not love you, and they may not respect you. They follow you because you have a position, and that's it. That's a Measure of authority. That's what the Pharisees had, as Jesus is going to point out. They had a measure of authority, and he's going to say, listen to them because of their authority. But then there's another kind of authority that Jesus had. It's the authority where either in the secular world, people will respect you because they see you living out what you believe. They see your love for people. They see your care. They see you're not using people as a stepping ladder or in the Christian world, God will anoint you or give his blessings. That's why he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. It's a blessing. It's, a, it's when God extends his supernatural, we could call it blessing or anointing, and he gives you an, a measure of authority that you can't get from a title. That's the kind of authority that all of you in your various places of leadership want. The authority that comes from God where others see you, 
living it, and they want to listen to what you have to say. And here we go, and Jesus, he's going to contrast that. Verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. It's important to note, if, you're, if this is the first time you've gone through the book of Matthew or any of the Gospels, this is the first period where Jesus calls out the Pharisees. He's new on the scene. And this is the first time where he says, you know what, those people, I'm not like them. So get it out of your minds that it's going to be the same way with me as it was with the religious establishment. And then we see the climax of that after three years. Three years later, he's going to climax in his War against the Pharisees and scribes. In Matthew 23, you can turn there. Page 878. This is where he spends a a whole chapter, the seven woes. Woe to you. But look at his first three verses. This is all I want you to see before we close. Matthew 23, verse 1 to 3. This is the last time Jesus will talk about the Pharisees and the scribes. And this is where we see his real problem with them. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they preach. Jesus' quarrel with the Pharisees and scribes is not that they teach wrong things. It's that they don't live what they're teaching. And, and, And so... Jesus is saying, my kingdom has come. This is a new kingdom, everybody. This is a kingdom where we live what we say we believe. What we teach others to do, we actually live it ourselves. And you can't live it on your own, but I'm going to come and live it through you if you allow me an all-access pass to your life. This is the kingdom of God. This is what a Christian is. And if you say, I'm a Christian, this is what you're claiming to Jesus Christ that you are. And if you live it with sincerity, you will be given an authority. An authority that the scribes and the Pharisees did not have. People didn't respect them. They would listen to them because they were afraid of them, but they didn't respect them. But look at the last verse, Matthew chapter 7. This is the last verse in the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll get to that in, in a couple of months. Verse 28, chapter 7, verse 28. So people have come up the hill now, and the crowds are sort of crowding around, and, and it says this. When Jesus finished saying these things, his famous sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority, not like the scribes. So the difference between a religious person is not seen in what they say, it's not in necessarily what they accomplish, but it's in who they are, in their character. And the Christian's character is what matters most to Jesus. And your character will be shown eventually by the way you treat your children. It will be felt by your neighbors as they interact with you. It, it, will, be, it will be felt by your spouse, your compassion for the sinner will be noticed. Your mercy for those who don't deserve it will be noticed. Your forgiveness for those who have hurt you will be 
noticed. Your sacrifice for others and not always demanding your own way won't be able to be ignored. Your teachability that you don't think you've, you've risen to the top and you're willing to be accountable will not be ignored. Your remorse and your tears over your personal sin will not be ignored. This is what a Christian is to seek after. And though Christians, in time getting short, Aren't we getting older? Isn't the day of the Lord quickly approaching? Isn't it time we put away our religious traditions and rituals and, and our, our empty words but no follow-through and, and fully give ourselves over to the Lord? Isn't it time for us to do this? As we prepare to take communion together, I'm going to ask you to reflect on this question, as we listen to a song uh, that I think portrays the desire in this man's heart, I want to ask you, if you say you're a Christian, is it because you say it, or is it because it's something that you desire to live out? As I get older, I, like to be honest, I'm a hypocrite, but there's this deep desire in me, ah, I just want to be finished with my dysfunction and my sin. I just want to be given fully over to the Lord, even if it means that nobody likes me. And even if it means I have to take serious and drastic changes in my life. This is my deep desire. Is it the desire for you? So let's meditate on the song, and then our communion leader can come up and lead us. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.